0: finding ourselves in Matthew chapter 11 uh, verse 25 is where we will begin uh, in the passage we are invited into an intimate prayer between Jesus and his father in heaven the prayer itself is voiced not for the benefit of Christ or a benefit of the father their communion was perfect and pure there was little need for Jesus to actually voice his prayer to the father he was always in perfect communion in fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Jesus is the embodiment of that. He perfectly lived out constant prayer and perfect harmony with the Father without interruption. And yet, throughout the Gospels, there are times where we're invited into this intimate and sacred space of the Lord's Prayer from Jesus to the Father who is in heaven. And those prayers and those invitations are an opportunity for those who will enter in to learn to Be instructed and then be invited into that intimacy. It's a beautiful thing, by the way, to invite others into the sacred space of your prayer life. To invite your children and your grandchildren and your friends. It's a beautiful blessing. And so Jesus is inviting us in and he is about to lift a prayer of praise to the Father that is, that is instructional as, as much as it is relational. Jesus is going to praise the Father for his gracious will. And before we look at the prayer, it is interesting or it's necessary for us to make two observations as it relates to the gracious will of the Father that Jesus is going to be thanking him for. We need to, we need to see first that the gracious will of the Lord is to hide the kingdom of God. That is, it is the will of the Lord to hide the truths and the mystery and even access to the kingdom of heaven from certain people. Not everyone is invited into sacred space or not everyone will come. In fact, we often have this impression that the Lord is attempting to make entrance into sacred space and into the kingdom easy for all people. That is not true. God does not make it easy. This may surprise you. That the Lord actually hides the way to eternal life intentionally to keep certain people from finding it. The greatest secrets of the kingdom are shadowed in parable, hidden in plain sight. There are some who will never see, will never hear, and will never even enter that sacred space, all according to the Lord's will. Secondly, we will see that the gracious will of the Lord is to reveal the kingdom of heaven. We see these postures of both hiding and revealing. The Lord intentionally hides entrance into sacred space from certain people while at the same time revealing it to others so they may enter. And so again, we see this expression of God's posture. We're going to see this in hiding and revealing and the difference between those who find, those who see, those who hear, and those who enter into the sacred space of the kingdom is heavily dependent on their posture that they take before the Lord. The Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Christ enters into sacred space, approaching the Father, his Father. With a posture of thanksgiving and praise and submission, he is approaching his heavenly Father. When we read that word, Father, what we need to keep in mind of who we're talking about is the supreme deity. The one who is responsible for the origin and care of all that exists. Our Father who is in heaven. The given titles of God. Even in themselves speak of posture. Think of this. That Father in heaven. Son. That speaks of posture. The son is in submission to the father. The son is not the father. The father is not the son. Jesus calls him not only father, but he says, you are Lord of heaven and earth. A statement of submission to the ultimate authority of the father. He calls him Lord of heaven and earth. That means one who is in charge by virtue and possession of everything that exists. And so when we put this together, who Jesus is approaching and whom Jesus is speaking to is the father. Our supreme deity, the one who is responsible for the origin and care of all that exists, who possesses with complete authority all that he has created. He is the Lord. And Jesus thanks him first for the purpose and the will of our Father to hide certain things as it relates to the kingdom. Jesus says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have what? Hidden these things from whom? The wise and the understanding. Now, Jesus here is praising the Father for keeping certain things hidden. These things, you may be wondering, what are these things? Well, Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God on planet earth, to preach and to teach, to provide entrance in the kingdom of heaven Jesus literally came to invite the world into sacred space through faith in himself. But here's a very important principle. The teachings of the kingdom are hidden from those who are described two ways. One is wise, and secondly is understanding. And this is paradoxical. Because I don't know about you, I would assume that the the secrets and the mysteries, principles of the kingdom of God would be preserved for the wise and for the understanding. Those who are able to plumb the depths of wisdom and gather the, the totality of understanding of, uh, of this life. Those who are wise and understanding here in this world, but that is not the case. In fact, those who are considered wise and understanding it in this age may actually be completely ignorant of the kingdom of God and its principles. And so when we look at that word wise and we look at that word understanding, what we're saying is wisdom, apart from God's wisdom, and understanding that is intelligence and knowledge that rejects the revelation of God. Things remain hidden. I found it interesting. In a recent Times Magazine article, a small column was set aside uh, and dedicated to the memory of the late great astrophysicist and futurist Stephen Hawking entitled final lessons from a giant this man is considered arguably one of the most brilliant men of the 20th and 21st century and in all of his wisdom and in all of his understanding and all of his brilliance he leaves us with what were the three most important lessons that he wanted to have be remembered lessons from a great wise man there is no god artificial intelligence may actually surpass us and we won't survive on earth and as i think of that i'm faced with this reality that in all of his wisdom and understanding and brilliance the principles and the mysteries and the teachings and even entrance into the kingdom of god and that sacred space may have remained completely hidden from him In fact, it may have been his wisdom and his understanding and his brilliance that kept him from entering in. Those who see themselves as wise apart from God and not in need of instruction are by their very posture unable to receive the teachings of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. That's kind of wordy. Those who see themselves as wise apart from God and not in need of instruction are by their very posture unable to receive the teachings of the kingdom of God. Because the teachings of the kingdom of God are first hidden. But the teachings of the kingdom of God are also revealed. And so I've structured this verse in such a way that you can see the intended contrast and parallel. Lord Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have, he said first, that you have hidden these things from whom? the wise and understanding. But then he also says, I thank you, Lord of heaven, that you have revealed these things to whom? To little children. And again, we're faced with this just absolute paradox that this concept of revealing... It has been revealed is it means to make known secrets, hidden things as it relates to the kingdom of God. By the way, that's what revelation means. That's what it means to receive revelation. It is understanding and it is knowledge that is not naturally gleaned. It is divinely given. It is revealed. It is revelation. And the Lord says, I thank you that you have preserved this revelation of the kingdom of God, its principles, its teachings, and its entrance for little children, And there's this, again, this paradox because we don't think of little children as those who are going to be esteemed as it relates to a kingdom because they're just little kids. And this isn't just referring to little children, although it does refer to little children in the sense of, I mean, even statistics tell us that the majority of people who come to faith come to faith when? When they're young. But those who take a posture of a child in this life are those who receive revelation. So let's talk about some children. I want to show you a few pictures of children. Uh, By their very station and posture in life, they are humble. Um, They do curious things. Like they put paint on their face. Paint's not for your face. What's that paint doing on your face? They're not expected to know very much. They're natural learners. They are in many ways pure and innocent. Did you know that children lack... Oh, my favorite too. I'm so glad you saw that. (laughs) Did you know that children, by their very nature, lack the prejudices that plague our world? Did you know that? It is incredible. We go to a park... We're there for 30 seconds, and all of a sudden my kids are surrounded by friends. They're like, oh, oh those are my friends, and those are my friends over there, and, and those are my friends. We're playing a game, we're all friends. And I'm like, when did you become friends? And they're like, what are you talking about? Somewhere between that innocence and that purity of childhood and adulthood, we like actually forgot how to make friends. Now we walk into a group of people and we're like, oh. i got to get out of here. (laughs) But with kids, they're just like, I'm surrounded by friends. And so as I look at this, the world is their classroom. You ever watch little children? They're, they're, They're curious creatures. They point up at the sky. They're like, what's that? Or what's that over there? Or who's that? Or what's this? Or why? Or why is this? And all the time, the parents are just like, can you please stop asking questions? But there's a beauty in that inquisitiveness, isn't there? And there's a trustingness. There are times where I just straight up make up answers. Well, the particular color of the sky is, God takes a paintbrush out, and uh, every morning he just paints the sky. Oh, okay. There's There's an innocence and a trustingness of children. In fact, the Lord Jesus, when speaking of the kingdom, used a living illustration. This is fascinating. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. Because Jesus invites a, a living child to be this living illustration, true paradox. the kingdom versus uh, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, "Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" That was always their grind. They're like, "Who's the greatest?" Which one of us?" They were always pecking to be at a higher standing than those around them, than their other disciples. They were always looking around, going, I'm probably more important, I'm probably more valued, I'm I'm probably more gifted. And in fact, Jesus, right before the cross, had to put down a discussion where they were still asking, who's the greatest? And so Jesus, interestingly enough, in face of this question, brings a child into the circle, and listen to what he says, This this is blowing my mind, I have read this before, but it's—I don't know if you've ever read something in the scriptures, and you read it, and you're like, well, "I've never really read that, not really, not heard it, or seen it, or seen it." Jesus said, "Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Did you all read that? Unless you turn and become like a little child or little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And again, we see this paradox in the kingdom of this age. Who are considered? Okay, so I just out of curiosity, the kingdom of this age and the kingdom of this culture, who is considered the greatest? What what qualifies somebody as great in our culture? Money. What else? Success, power, yes, accomplishment, beauty, influence. These things are all esteemed as as greatness, but it may be those actual things that get in the way of us actually entering in and understanding and hearing and listening to the kingdom of God principles, and you're even entering. Because as I read it in the text, greatness... Can actually keep people from sacred space. In fact, whoever desires to be great, in essence, must make themselves nothing like a little child. So, here is is one of our principles of our series To enter into sacred space, we must become like little children, it's mandatory. If we're going to even enter the kingdom of God, we must approach his little children. And this is, of course, highlighting the admirable characteristics of childhood while not advocating the least admirable. For example, we're not called to be childish or selfish or demanding. There's nothing spiritual about a temper tantrum or biting or tugging a classmate's pigtails. But there is to be an innocence and an inquisitiveness and a humility and a trusting spirit from those who enter into the sacred space of the kingdom. In fact, some of the wisest of this age will never be recipients of the revelation of the kingdom because the brilliance themselves or posture keep them from receiving it. And we see it throughout the Gospels. In fact, it's those who approach Jesus in humility, with curiosity and openness. They're the ones that for whatever reason, they see, they hear, and they enter. But it's those who approach Jesus... From this posture of being an authority figure or being an expert in the law or those who are teachers and leaders and rulers and kings, it's like these things, this revelation is kept from them as I'm arguing, it's because of their posture. And the Lord says in verse 26, this is all a part of God's gracious will. He says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Did you know that it, was literally, it is literally the gracious will of God to hide the kingdom of God from people who have a certain posture and to reveal the kingdom of God from, to people who have a certain posture? It's literally the will of God in both postures to hide and reveal. His will is to reveal the mysteries of those who approach in a posture of a child with humility. And so now Jesus moves fluidly from prayer to instruction. And I hope that we're engaged. I hope we're listening. Because in verse 27, the Lord Jesus says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. We've already established who the Father is. And when when Jesus says, all things have been handed over to him, class, what does that mean? What has been handed over to Jesus? Brilliant. (laughs) All things, all power, all dominion, all authority has been handed over and delegated and entrusted to Christ so that if you are going to approach the Father, you you must approach through Christ the Son, When we bring glory and praise to Jesus, we are bringing glory and praise to the Father. It is through Jesus, through faith in Christ, that we receive divine revelation. It is apart from faith in Christ uh, that we receive no revelation. In fact, I want to show you just a, a quick passage. Look at Matthew 16. This is fascinating to me. Because apart from divine revelation, all we are left with is conjecture. As to the person and nature of Christ or the concepts of the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever sat with somebody who, who is not spiritually enlightened. They have not received revelation. They try to describe who God is and what a relationship with God looks like and even what his purposes and plans are on earth, and they, they don't, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening, I'm going, wow, you don't really know because they haven't had Revelation. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples an interesting question. Who do people say that I am? It's fascinating. And you see the conjecture. It's as they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, well, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. How did Peter know that? through revelation and for Peter to have received that revelation we have to argue from what we've already looked at he must have taken a posture of a learner like a child he approached Christ in a humble posture and revelation was given to him in fact, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Apart from divine revelation, all we're left with is conjecture. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah or Jeremiah. We see that same stammering in our culture today. Who is Jesus? Well, Some say he was a good moral teacher. Others say he was absolutely a lunatic. Some say he's a complete figment of religious writing, but Peter is able to rightly discern who Jesus is through revelation. No one is able to rightly discern the person and nature of Christ or the person and nature of the Father or the person and nature of the Holy Spirit, our triune Godhead, apart from divine revelation, and that divine revelation is not revealed to all people. In fact, by our very posture, we may be kept from revelation. Look back at Matthew Matthew 11. Middle of verse 27, Jesus continues. He says, No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Who does the Son choose to reveal the Father to? Those who approach him like what? Like little children. So as we've uh, seen, it's essential uh, for us to receive revelation from God. It really depends on our posture. If we approach Christ in our own wisdom and our own understanding, we've got things figured out. We don't need God. We don't need revelation. Guess what? It will not be revealed. But if we approach him in the posture of a child, seeking, humble, teachable, trusting, these things will be revealed to us. And I want us to see this. This is very important. Because though things are hidden and things are revealed, the invitation goes to all people. But only certain people receive the invitation. Jesus is going to uh, issue an invitation to the weary of earth. And we're going to see, and I've seen this in my life, it is so, so difficult. It seems almost impossible for the wealthy and the wise and the understanding of this age to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in one passage, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. And we're left thinking, well, then who can enter? It seems impossible. To which Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. But I will tell you, for a rich person who, who by their wealth is their identity or by wisdom of this age or by understanding, there has to be a forsaking to, to enter. And so Jesus is going to issue an invitation to the wise, the wealthy, the understanding, and those who are like little children, but the only people who are going to receive the invitation are probably those who who are humble. We must be willing to admit. See, to receive this invitation that we're going to look at, it's not only essential that we come in in the posture of a little child, but it's also essential that we're willing to admit some things. (laughs) That are that are really difficult to admit. And so I need a couple of guys, can, a couple of strong men. Tommy, can you help me get this up here? You and Bruce, can you guys bring me up my whiteboard? Come on. Yeah, a couple of good-looking dudes, a couple of stud muffins, servants of the highest order. Thank you. No, right up here. Come on, straight up. Nice. All right, hand of applause for these strapping men. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this invitation, and we're going to, I'm going to introduce you to a couple of people. But before we meet these people, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. So here's this invitation to earth. And we've already established that those who are going to come are those who take the posture of a child. But also those who are willing to admit some things. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Literally, verse 28 begins with, not just come to me, but come here, exclamation point. Come on, exclamation point. Come to sacred space to find rest for your soul. To all who are willing to admit their need. You must be willing to admit that you were weary that weariness is speaking of exhaustion. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's psychological. Exhaustion, the tirelessness of our life, trying to find satisfaction through some other means, ending up exhausted. Come. Also those who are willing to admit their need, those who are under the pressure being crushed to labor under the weight of the burden of this life, come to Jesus. This is an ongoing invitation. It is not only an invitation into salvation for eternal life, but it's an everyday invitation to come and find rest for our soul. So I want to introduce you to a couple of people. Um, they're, they're interesting folks. Because we've already established that you've got to come with this, this heart of humility, and, and to come you also must be able to admit need, which is a toughie. This is a tough one. So I'm going to introduce you to the first guy. Um, This is Got It Together Gary. Um, My boys asked if, well, they asked if he had a unibrow. Um, Okay. So here's Got It Together Gary. And when I say Got It Together Gary, um, together, oh man, this is awful, together, that is just the worst writing. Okay. So I'm going to write that again. Got It Together who? Okay, and so when I say got it together, Gary, I'm going to then go, because Gary has got it together, yes, got it together, Gary, and then his friend, this is, I know you guys are just blown away by my artistic ability here, Um, this is sure-footed Susie, and sure-footed Susie, uh, oh, she has no face, no eyes. Poor girl, right? No face. Um, but, sh- but Susie is sure-footed. So Gary has, uh huh, and Susie is, so let's describe, got it together, Gary, and sure-footed Susie. Okay, so let's throw out some ideas. Describe these, these people for me. Okay, nine to five. You Kevin, what else? Organized. Organized, or the appearance of it. Organized hooked on phonics did not work for me. Okay, what else? Independent. What else? What? Confident. What else? What's that? Wise, understanding. They can fluidly move from a conversation of aerospace to then the Kardashians, right? They're wives. Pretty impressive people. So what's interesting is, got it together, Gary and sure-footed Susie, the 9 to 5, the organized, independent, confident, wise, and understanding, by their very posture, may be kept from sacred space. And may be kept just by their very approach to life, From true rest for the soul. To come, to receive this invitation, we must approach in this posture of a child, but we must be willing to admit that we don't have it all together. In fact, that we're not sure-footed. And when we come in this posture, we come into sacred space... And we come and we really will find rest for our souls. And so here are the two principles. To enter into sacred space, we must, we must become like little children. In fact, Jesus said, unless you become like, you will never enter. And to enter into sacred space, we must be willing to admit our need. We must be willing to say, look, I don't have it together and I'm not sure-footed. No matter what I try to project to the rest of the world, by the nature of receiving this invitation, I am confessing that I don't have it together. And so we'll pick up right here next week. We'll be talking about these two individuals quite a bit. But a few applications for us this morning. The first one is, is simple. And this is really between you and the Lord. I, I have no idea what's going on. Because there's times where we project a certain image to the world, but that's not who we really are, is it? Because if truth be told, we're an entirely different person behind closed doors. And that projection is not who we really are. And so the question is, what is your posture before the Lord? I'm not talking about other people yet. But what is your posture before the Lord? Is it a wise and understanding posture? Do you have all your stuff together? If you are wise and you know everything you need to know and you have all the understanding that you possibly need and you got all your stuff together, you will never, never see a need for Jesus, ever. And truthfully, revelation will remain hidden from you. In fact, you can't strut into sacred space. We walk in confessing we are exhausted and being crushed and we're ragged. So sometimes we talk about wanting to be in a deeper relationship, like we all raised our hand. Yeah, we want to be in a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we talk like we want it, but we live like we don't need it. Sometimes we talk like we want it, but we live like we don't need it. That very posture keeps us from it. We need to approach him in a dependency like children, in need and trusting and listening, willing to confess and state that, yeah, we don't have it all together, we're not sure-footed. So what is your posture? We'll talk about that more. Secondly, the invitation into sacred space. It is an invitation that is first eternal, You know, often Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and following, they're seen as this evangelistic invitation into salvation. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary, being crushed under the weight and burden of sin, and you'll find rest for your souls. And it is supremely an invitation into salvation. Absolutely. Apart from Christ, there is no rest for your soul. Sometimes people talk about their life apart from Jesus and, oh, everything's great and everything's wonderful. No, it's not. Stop trying to fool yourself. It's not great. You are under the burden and weight of sin, and it is crushing. We may distract ourselves with all the other things that we do in this life, but we are left with the darkness of the night, we are having to face the reality that our soul is being crushed. We are not at peace. We can't look on the brighter side of life because there isn't one. And so when we talk about this invitation into sacred space, it is first eternal to recognize our need for a Savior, that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was crushed so we could be liberated, be forgiven and set free. He rose from the dead. It is confirmation that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father or to the faith apart from Jesus Christ. And so to you who do not have a relationship with Jesus, I say, or I repeat what Jesus says, come. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden, but you'll have to admit it. You have to admit it. willing to say, I'm in need. But it doesn't end there. Because the Christian life is not a a statement of, yes, I'm broken, I'm weak, but now I'm strong. It is a continual willingness to say, no, I'm utterly and woefully dependent. And Jesus' invitation to come, I need it every single day because I am weary and I am heavy laden. In fact, I am ragged. And so we are invited every single day into the sacred space. And so during the course of the series, I hope we come to realize that this invitation is not just an invitation to salvation, but it is an invitation for our daily life to come who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest. And I'll tell you, family, you want to know what rest is? You want me to define it? I'll give you the tip right up front. want to know what rest is for your soul? You all ready for this? Not just Jesus. Because the answer to every question is Jesus in church. True rest for your souls is true intimacy with Jesus. And family, there's a massive difference between having a knowledge of Jesus and having a deep and intimate relationship with him. I was talking to the boys just during communion. Sometimes that practice becomes religious. But it was supremely relational. Jesus was in a relationship with his disciples. He broke bread with them in an intimate meal. And they shared and they ate and they drank. It is a relationship. And I am worried that in all of our religious practices, we are not any closer to an intimate relationship with Jesus. But we desire it and I believe over the next six weeks Jesus is going to reveal more and more of what that looks like for us to enter in because as we already said I'm just curious how many of you would like rest for your soul Jesus says, come let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for your grace this is a challenging series of concepts Lord because we are so convinced that your kingdom is is secured a different way how could it possibly be, just like that little baby crying right now, how is it that we approach you like that? How is it possible that we are to approach you as little children and not as the wise and the understanding? How is it that what's happening on those playgrounds around us is more indicative of entrance into the kingdom of God than what's happening in the kingdom of this culture? Give us eyes to see. To you today who have never received Jesus' invitation into salvation, please hear this. You are not okay. Please do not allow the world to convince you that you're okay apart from Jesus. You are not. The Bible is very clear that apart from Christ, we are under the weight, the burden, the penalty, and the death of sin. We are being crushed. Jesus invites you to come to him but you must be willing to admit that you were weary and that you were heavy laden and you're in need of rest. If that is where you're at today and you're ready to receive Jesus in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I am crushed. I am burdened. Please, Jesus, save my life. I want to enter in. If that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares that you've passed from death to life. You are now a citizen of heaven. Welcome to the family. And then for those of us who are are believers and we're we're walking out this life, please understand Jesus is telling you to come. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would confess our need, our weakness, and we would approach you in humility because we are so hungry and so desperate for rest. Jesus Christ, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father or to the faith or to rest apart from you. And so we come and we approach. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Again, over the course of the series, we'll unpack more and more of that, but I have a few announcements. I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers. How many of y'all volunteered for Trunk or Treat? Uh, I passed that little bubble? Passed that little bubble?